Welcome to 7 Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. Most people are pretty uncomfortable talking about death. I hope this program can help to change that and make death a more natural topic of conversation. Today's guest is Dana. She teaches English literature. On the table, in addition to photographs and flowers, there were his glasses and his wooden shoes. Question one. What do you believe happens to a person's consciousness or spirit after the body dies? At the risk of, of this being a very boring or pedestrian answer. The, the short answer would be nothing. I don't really believe in um, a separation of, of mind and body or consciousness and body. And so when our body stops working, so does our mind and so does our consciousness. But I don't think that that's a, a sad thing or a loss of any kind. It's something that I'm very, you know, fine and comfortable with believing. Have you always believed this? I think so. I was raised like pretty secular. My family was not of faith and it wasn't really part of our belief system or conversations growing up. I mean, I think I went through a period in my tweens where I was very into the idea of ghosts, uh, but not in a spiritual way, more in a, you know, just that preteen preoccupation with um, spooky things like Ouija boards and seances and, and, you know, that kind of nonsense, but not um, ever really in a way that made me feel like there was something about ourselves that was separate from our bodies and our, our lived existence and experiences. Is it possible or did you think that ghosts didn't come from humans that had been alive? They were just kind of hanging around? Kind of. And, and I think I read a lot as a child and, you know, I read some spooky stories and things and I still appreciate a good horror film or you know thriller and you know honestly I don't know that I gave it much thought as to who these spectral beings might have been prior to their ethereal existence it was more just I think the thrill of being scared (laughs) yeah I can relate to that the thrill of being scared yeah I definitely went through a phase like that around that age as well and in my teenage years reading a lot of spooky things well i still have my ouija board from from childhood was actually my grandmother's and now it is hanging on our wall in our basement so (laughs) but not as an object that you know connects us with some kind of spiritual realm i just think that it's an interesting object to have and i like it so (laughs) did your grandmother use the ouija board for its original purpose do you know not that she ever said, and neither of a sets of grandparents, either on my mother's side or my dad's, were really of faith either. And, you know, they certainly never spoke of an afterlife or of, you know, communicating with anyone after death in any way. But my grandma was, she was always kind of hip to the times. And so it might have just been something that was popular that prompted her to, you know, maybe enjoy some drinks with girlfriends. <laughs> um but, uh, you know, she, she never did tell me how she came into possession with it. Uh, so I don't really know its origin stories, but uh, I'm pleased I still have it. I think it's neat. 
So you consider it a kitsch object, right? Yeah, exactly. Question two. Have you ever been present when someone else's life ended? Yes. When my Nana passed away in 2010, so it's my mom's mom, my mom and her siblings uh, were present and I was there as well. And it was November 30th and she was not quite 90 years old. Is there anything more that you would feel comfortable sharing about that experience? Sure. I was very glad to be there, both to support my mom in losing her mom, but also, you know, I do kind of think that when we exit the world to do so quietly in our beds, surrounded by the people who love us, you can't really ask for a better departure. You know, if I was at all a calming presence in that space when my nana passed away, then I like to think that, um, you know, I contributed to that comfort. And, you know, it's funny because what I'm about to say deeply contradicts my very firm belief that, you know, once our body stops working, that's it. But I do remember within moments of her passing, and she had that death rattle, you know, so when she stopped breathing, it was very audibly that she had stopped breathing. And I was overcome with a closeness or a heaviness in the room and had to open a window. And I don't know what that was about, but it was just a very perceivable closeness in the room. The air felt heavy and like I needed to open a window to let in the fresh air or let out the close air. Mm, so it was a very strong impact. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the feeling of that heaviness, whether that was just kind of our own collective sigh of relief. I don't mean to say that we were relieved that my Nana passed away, but sigh of relief that we could stop waiting. You know, there was kind of like a weight that did lift from us and whether that just kind of evaporated into the room and needed to be let go, I'm not sure. But it's funny because, again, within moments of her passing, I can't remember who said something or even what they said, but we all burst out laughing. And then one of my aunts was immediately like, oh my goodness, the hospital staff must think that we're atrocious. Here we are laughing moments after my Nana had passed away. But there was a levity to it there. And, and that's why I really do feel like relief was the right word to use, because it just felt like we were relieved of um, some kind of heaviness. Mm, that's so striking. Both uh, sort of energetic, like some kind of not usual way of sensing things, plus an emotional uh, reaction. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I remember the feeling more than I do kind of anything else about the room. And I don't quite remember the way my Nana looked when she died. My memories of her alive are much stronger, but I do remember the feeling quite distinctly. Is this the same grandmother that had the Ouija board? No, the other one. <laughs> okay. Not that that would make a difference necessarily to your story. I just was curious. Yeah. And when my grandmother passed away, it was funny because like she was in assisted living uh, for the, the last year of her life, was completely like entirely coherent right until the end. And my aunt had visited her earlier that day and had left kind of before dinner. My grandma had her dinner had asked them to bring the dessert a little later and so they brought in her dessert and when they came back to take it away she had passed away just 
like that. She got to enjoy her dessert and, you know, kind of relaxed in bed and I guess closed her eyes and that was that. Which again, I mean, next to being surrounded by the people who love you, pretty good way to go. <laughs> dessert is the last thing she remembered, right? So yeah. I hope it wasn't jello. I hope it was something good. No, it was it was actually her favorite dessert. And that's why she wasn't hungry for it at dinner time, but she asked them specifically to bring it back because it was one that she liked. So Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, and she was approaching 90 as well. So a nice long and healthy life for the most part. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing about your nana's death and your grandmother's death. You have different names for them. Yeah. Question three. Have you ever experienced communication from someone who is no longer alive in the physical world? Or have you wondered if you were receiving communication from someone who has passed on? I don't think that there is something I would ever describe as communication. But occasionally there will be things that, and it's my grandmother's, something will happen and it will make me think of them. And not make me think that they're thinking of me because they're not of the world anymore. But it's, I think, just kind of awakens in me that feeling of being loved by them. And so grandmother with the Ouija board used to, anytime we would go to visit, she'd have a platter of, of fresh vegetables, oftentimes from her garden. But she would make radish roses and I don't know if you're familiar, but you take a radish and you kind of cut it crosswise and soak it in water overnight and it blooms. So whenever I make radishes for like a, a veggie platter, I always make radish roses the way that my grandmother did. And I do remember one time being in the kitchen and preparing radishes and I cut off the stem of one and the kind of white part that was left after I, I trimmed it was exactly the shape of a heart. And it just kind of made me think, hi, grandma. I love you too. But as I say, not in a way that I feel like actually she was communicating with me, but it, it just made me think of her and very much brought that sense of being loved by her to mind. Connection. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I think it's something that we remember our loved ones on their important days, you know, their, if we, their birthday or family holidays or on traditions that we, we shared with them. But I think it's some of those more incidental remembrances that are quite poignant. Yeah, that's such a sweet one that you just narrated. I just love that you could say, hi, grandma, and connect. <laughs> Even if you're believing it's sort of your memory or the energy inside you, her living within you. I love that you can hold both practices and beliefs. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that there's a real conflict there. You know, I remember when I was pregnant with, with our daughter, I remember reading somewhere that for a very brief period of time, we are actually present inside our grandmothers. Because when our grandmothers are pregnant with our mothers, girl babies are born with all of the eggs that they will have in their lifetime. And so that egg that became me was previously, you know, held, however briefly, by my Nana. And so there's science behind that cellular connection. But I think that we can hold somebody in our memories, in our DNA, in our 
other biological processes in our experiences, in what we inherit, both in terms of behaviors and in terms of physical attributes, that parts of our ancestors or our family or our loved ones still inhabit us. Wow. Question four. Who do you want to be with you when you die? And what circumstances would you choose if you could choose them for your death? I mean, I think ideally I would like to depart this world surrounded by people who love me and whom I love. So whether that's a partner or children or, you know, the other people who are important, I don't know whether I will have grandchildren, but I imagine they would be included in that. But I think I would prefer not to die in a hospital. It's really poor lighting. <laughs> and so, you know, the, <laughs> I really have a thing against um, hospital lighting. Fluorescent lighting is terrible. And so I would prefer not to die under fluorescent lighting if at all possible. I'm guessing that the lighting thing is not because of your celebrity headshot, but more because of the vibration or the harshness or the, the sound, the color. Yeah. It's just not natural. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine whose mom had passed away recently and she had struggled with cancer for a good portion of her life and ended up opting for the MAID program, so the medical assistance in dying. And in doing so, had a fair amount of autonomy over planning what her death would be like. And that's not something that many of us have. And so she chose to pass away at home, but in her backyard, surrounded by trees and beautiful garden. And her husband and both daughters were there with her. And I think that sounds pretty darn good. If you're going to die and you know you are and you, you do have that ability to choose, I can see choosing something like that. I think the last thing that I see are trees and sky. That's, that's pretty good. So you're in favor of the outdoor yeah, which is funny because I'm not an outdoorsy person necessarily, but it's like the very opposite of that fluorescent lighting, you know? <laughs> yeah, natural light mm -hmm. and uh, nature to which you will return. Exactly. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. You're listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you'd like to be interviewed, or if you have a comment about the show, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is the number seven. Question five. How do you feel about the fact that you will die? Are you afraid of your death? Well, I certainly have no interest in dying anywhere in the near future and hope that I don't. I quite like my life. You know, I love the people with whom I share it. And I think that if tomorrow I were diagnosed with a terminal illness or otherwise came face to face with my imminent mortality, I would be quite upset by that. I don't think it would be 
fear, though. I think it would be anger or frustration at knowing I was going to die and not wanting to yet. I'm not afraid of what happens after because I'm quite confident that nothing does. In best case scenarios, I don't think it's something that would hurt or be uncomfortable, hopefully. But but yeah, I'd like to live a good long while yet and, and hope that I do have the opportunity to do so. That's an interesting question. But yeah, I don't think it would be fear. It would be frustration, anger, disappointment, grief, rather than fear. Question six. Are there any traditions or practices connected with death which you find meaningful? You know, that is an interesting question as well, because I grew up in BC, just in in Metro Vancouver, and moved to Edmonton in my mid-20s. Prior to moving to Edmonton, I think I had been to exactly one funeral. One of my grandfathers passed away when I was 13, and we had a service for him. And then there were no other services or ceremonies or traditions or practices for any other deaths that happened in my family or in my you know adjacent social circles. They were quite private, really. And then I moved to Edmonton and discovered that I don't know if it's something about the the city or about, you know, just the people I know here, but there's a a much stronger kind of funeral culture here where somebody passes and there's a whole thing that happened. And so the first time that somebody um, in my circle passed away in Edmonton, I had to learn how to participate in that. And I remember feeling very anxious and uncomfortable because I didn't know what was expected of me what I was supposed to do, because it just had not been a part of my upbringing or my experiences. Now that I've been to a number of of funerals, I kind of at least understand how they work now. I can see how they can bring the family or the, you know, the community of a person who has passed away, how they can bring that community together and provide some comfort. But I don't think that I like the just kind of rigid practices of it the you know going through a particular like funeral home or having um, a formalized service i think that if it was somebody for whom i was planning some kind of service or i mean people call them celebrations of life or you know funerals or, or whatever i absolutely understand the gathering together of people to bring comfort to one another and to you know recognize uh, the person who has passed away um, in what I hope would be kind of equal parts sadness and, and joy. I don't think that I would want to go through a commercial process for that. And I don't really understand how or why that is so customary. But like the funeral industry is very much an industry. And I think that commercial or corporate aspect of it takes away from the more community oriented part of it. So while there aren't any, you know, traditions that I associate with death or that are meaningful for me, I know what I don't want. Yeah, no fluorescent lights and uh, no funeral homes (laughs) and no expensive coffins or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I think the stereotypical like Irish wake of a big piss up and a potluck, (laughs) you know, that that's uh, that's much more appealing. 
So more grassroots, more communal, less mediated by capitalist enterprise. That's what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And, you know, the there's already so much bureaucracy that is associated with dying, which is, is so bizarre that, um, you know, why add kind of commercial aspects to it? That doesn't really seem much like a celebration of life or a, a mourning of death either. It's just another set of forms mm. <laughs> and a great expense. Is there anything that struck you as meaningful or touched you in any type of commemoration, ritual, either very personal or with others in the death of someone that you knew? Uh, I, I guess the most recent funeral that I attended was less than a year ago, and uh, my partner's grandfather passed away. Once again, very good long life and uh, passed away surrounded by loved ones, so very grateful for that. Even though he had a very kind of traditional service, the family is Danish, and so the service was held in a Danish church, followed by a reception and a funeral situation. There was a I don't know, like an altar of sorts. He was cremated, and so his ashes were in an urn. But on the table, in addition to photographs and, and flowers, there were his glasses and his wooden shoes. Now he was he was Danish, and he he wore these wooden soled shoes. And just having those up there is such a unique part of him. You know, anybody who knew him knew that he would wear these wooden soled clog type shoes. I don't know, for some reason, just the presence of those shoes, it was both comforting and even sad, you know, to think that he wouldn't walk in them anymore. But uh, I was happy to have them there. Question seven. If you could ask a source of all knowledge some questions about death, what would you ask? Oh, wow. I have never considered that question before. And, you know, in terms of a source of all knowledge, it's like God or the internet. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't believe in one and find the other endlessly frustrating. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, try to separate this source of all knowledge idea from God for now and yes. see what comes. I think it would be interesting to have some kind of confirmation, you know, what I believe to be true. You know, it would be real weird to find out, oh, no, actually the believers um, were right all along and there is some kind of afterlife or, you know, whether that is heaven or reincarnation or any of the myriad beliefs out there about what can happen after death. Knowing would be interesting. I think I might also have questions about how and where to find meaning in death. Because not all deaths are good deaths. And I'm tremendously fortunate that I haven't lost anyone, you know, personally close to me in an untimely or violent or bad way. But I think if I had, I might not be as comfortable with 
kind of my relationship with death, which is to say I don't have much of one. And I think that if you have experienced that kind of traumatic loss, that it might be harder to find ways to make meaning or to, to make peace with death. So I don't know how to formulate those questions outside of those experiences, but I absolutely understand how others might have those questions. Mm -hmm. So how to find meaning in death? I think that it's easy enough to do that when somebody lives a, a full and you know largely good life, when they do have loved ones that they leave behind, when there is no complexity around their passing beyond that their body stops working, that we don't have questions about those deaths in the same way that we might in other circumstances. Like, why did she have to die? Why did she have to die in this way? That kind of thing? Yeah. Why this person? Why these circumstances? Why now? And, you know, processing the added grief of not just losing somebody that you care about, but um, losing them in a way that feels unfair or ill-timed or, you know, just wasn't the right death for that person. And I think that's difficult to process because, you know, what does it mean for somebody to have the right death for themselves? But all the deaths I described earlier felt right for those people. They had dessert. You know, one of them had dessert first. They had dessert. They had loved ones. They had lived full lives and had grown old. And I think that growing old is a tremendous privilege. And if you can do so with love and uh, relative comfort, then when that comes to an end, it's hard to be anything but grateful. Ukrainian summer before the revolution I sat at the knees of the grandmother Her daughter told me We could lift the veil between the worlds By singing And we were sat outside in the dawn light Of the midsummer feast and the short night Singing to the dead so they'd bless the crop Bless the young, bless the My thanks to today's guest, Dana. The song we just listened to, an excerpt from, is called Bellow by Moira Smiley. You've been listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you're interested in being interviewed, or if you have a comment or a question, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is a number seven. Thanks for listening. <laughs>